Science in diction and fact over fiction. Learning and growing and healing afflictions. Authentic and supportive, knowledge a plethora. Welcome to the Library of Alexandria. And welcome to another episode of the Library of Alexandria. As usual, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I'm very excited to share information on this topic today. And the topic is why we should stop using the word humble and why we should stop subscribing to the concept and mindset of humility in general. The reason I want to talk about this is because humility and being humble is a very hot topic in many of our cultures and societies. And humility doesn't actually mean what we think it means as a collective. Generally, we think humility means selfless and wise. What it really means is modest and submissive, two principles that reduce one's worth and value, especially that of those who identify as women. And this is precisely why we as a collective should stop using this counterintuitive word. Instead, when we feel inclined to use the word humble, I think we should use the more accurately representative word, mindful. Okay, and I'm going to speak more to that. As we humans have deeply embedded ourselves in the dogma that a good person is one of humility, we have also stifled our ability to recognize and understand our own uniquely abundant worth and value as individuals on this earth. Think about it. How can we as individuals generously serve ourselves and others if we are constantly told by our cultures and societies to have a modest view of our individual importance? This is, after all, what it means to be humble. Now, the concept of this word and its definition are harmful and counterproductive to human language and therefore human society. Because remember, our language creates our mindset, which creates our reality. So basically, our language creates our reality. I'm going to first address how this concept of humility relates to and impacts women. Okay, so let's break this down. You know, I am very passionate about diction. So let's break down the Oxford English Dictionary of the word humble, okay? The Oxford English Dictionary defines humble as an adjective meaning this, having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. I'm going to repeat that. The definition of being humble or the definition of humility is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. I don't know about you, but that definition does not align with me at all. The long-standing reign of patriarchal dominance has encouraged and actually tamed women to embody and internalize modesty as the standard and epitome of womanhood. Okay? And this goes tenfold for black women as we are constantly fighting the projected stereotype of the angry black woman whenever we use our personal agency to vocally advocate for ourselves, assert our needs, declare our thoughts, and express our feelings. And the most marginalized group of people in America are women of color. Therefore, black women and all women of color and women in general, just focusing on black women and women of color for the sake of this uh, point I made, for the sake of the point I'm trying to make, black women and all women of color have every and all reasons to loudly and proudly champion ourselves upon achieving any accomplishment. 
we will not be tamed into taking a humble approach in our celebration of self. And continually, as author Glennon Doyle has taught me in her 2020 memoir, Untamed, for those of you who know me, you know I am obsessed with this book, obsessed with this memoir, obsessed with Glennon Doyle. I mean, this book is my Bible, Untamed. I recommend it to every human being, every earthling on this planet, man, woman, however you identify, every human being, every human needs to read this. Okay, so anyway, I digress. Actually, I don't digress. That was necessary information I had to share. No regrets. Anyway, <laughs> so as author Glennon Doyle has taught me in her 2020 memoir, Untamed, I am an untamed woman. So modesty is not a value I embody as a means to dictate who I am as a woman, how I conduct myself as a woman, or how I communicate as a woman. And if we change the social and cultural chronicle that women's identities must dutifully pledge allegiance to the comfort and convenience of others above our own, our society will get closer to dismantling the dichotomy between ascribed male and female gender dynamics and norms, which is exactly what we want. And we're moving in that direction now, and we need to keep progressing and propelling ourselves in that direction. Human evolution cannot progress without the evolution of language, okay? Language represents our feelings and experiences, giving meaning and clarity to our realities. And a collective human reality in which individuals live with unwavering self-respect, will nourish a community of secure individuals and increased communal peace, which is exactly the main shared goal all of us human beings are trying to achieve. Moreover, expressing humility is often an unconscious act that largely and inconspicuously contributes to public health crises, social dissonance, political disorder, and personal suffering. Think about it. When individuals have and show a low or modest view of their individual importance, of their worth, they don't wear masks during a pandemic, they don't practice anti-racism, they don't vote, they don't help others, and they don't advocate for or nurture themselves. All of these absent actions are counterproductive to the progression of humanity. This is why humility is a problem. <laughs> Additionally, the expectation of having to be humble in the presence of others or a new situation insinuates inadequacy, privilege, and elitism, all of which are concepts that hinder equality among people. Each person's worth is infinite and sacred. Human beings are social species, neurobiologically hardwired for connection and community. We operate as a union. Therefore, no human's worth weighs more than the others. We are all necessary pieces to our shared human puzzle. Regardless of age, social status, or individual experiences, we each possess gifts to offer our global community as a means to support each other as a collective. And choosing to prioritize mindfulness allows us to support each other abundantly. So let's get into the word mindfulness. Let's break that down. Mindfulness is defined as a noun meaning the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. I'll repeat that. Mindfulness is the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. Here's the thing. We can only change what we are conscious of. We can only respect ourselves and live authentic to our unique nature if we are truly aware of who we are aware of how we want to live, and aware of why we believe and value what we choose to cherish. 
Awareness is a superpower innate to the human brain. And with dedicated practice to honing the strength of our senses and thoroughly assessing them and our emotions in the present moment, our awareness will deepen and elicit actions and behaviors rooted in self-respect and authenticity. Essentially, awareness, mindfulness, awareness fuels kindness, sensitivity, compassion, empathy, inner security, and authentic communication between individuals. Awareness creates harmony and increases communal peace. Ditching humility and embracing mindfulness is a concept that supports us individually and collectively because it affirms and champions the fact that the worth and importance of each human being is uniquely necessary to the support of others and progression of our human family. I encourage you to honor and champion your unparalleled, infinite, individualized worth as a human being on this planet. And ditching humility and embracing mindfulness is a tremendously effective way to nurture self-reverence. Remember, it is not wise or progressive or selfless to have a modest or low view of your own individual importance. The world needs you and your uniqueness, your unique gifts, skills, and abilities to progress human society. I'm always focusing on that because if that's not the goal, then what are we doing? And remember, we cannot abundantly serve others from a place of overflow if our cup isn't full. If we are telling ourselves we need to stay small and be quiet and stay in the background and not assert ourselves in our voices, in our thoughts, in our concerns, in our ideas, then we are hindering the progression of human society. Use your voice to speak your mind, even when it feels uncomfortable, even if you feel that other people may negatively judge you for it. Use your personal agency to create change, to create shift. Now, probably unsurprising to lots of you listeners, I have an issue with authority because that insinuates power over individuals. It insinuates power over individuals' choices and decisions and autonomy and freedom. And it insinuates that we need to be humble in the presence of someone who is in authority. It insinuates that we need to have a low or modest view of our individual importance in the presence of someone that has the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and enforce obedience. You know, they have the power to mandate and control things. I have an issue with that because no human's individual worth is more than another than more than another's. And when you have an authoritative figure, an executive authority, uh, that is what that perpetuates. Now, I don't have an issue with authority in terms of the other definition, which is the power to influence others, especially because of one's commanding manner or one's recognized knowledge about something. And the reason for that is because I think experience gives us authority. Each human being on this planet has gone through their own individualized, unique experiences that teaches them unique things, that gives them, that presents them with unique skills that they could have learned from those experiences. So... That does make sense to me. You know, experience equals authority because you may have experienced a particular thing that I have never experienced. I have no knowledge of what that thing is. I have no awareness of what that thing is that you experienced. No clue. So you, having done this thing I don't know about, yeah, you have authority. You have authority in that sense. You have the power to influence me. Let's say, I don't know, what's something I've never done? Here's an example. So I am a Cajun Creole black lady 
and I grew up eating Cajun Creole cuisine in my house, although I would not consider myself an authority on Cajun Creole cooking. And that is because I personally did not grow up cooking. You know, my mom cooked, I didn't. And I wasn't really involved in cooking or involved in the kitchen. I wasn't really interested and my mom wasn't really interested in teaching me. (laughs) And I don't cook now. John is the chef in our house. And unlike my parents and extended family, I did not grow up in Louisiana. I didn't grow up in the South where that food is, that cuisine is prolific. So I wouldn't consider myself an authority. I'm not an expert on the cooking. There are times where John and I will even consult his sister, Anna, my sister-in-law, who lives in New Orleans, and she has lived there for quite some time. She's lived there for over well over a decade, and she's definitely not Creole or Cajun, yet she has lived in New Orleans. She has lived in that environment. She has enveloped herself in that culture for several years, so she does have more knowledge than even I do on the proper ways to cook certain things, Cajun or Creole. And she also likes to cook. She pays attention to the cuisine and the culture. And and I again, I'm not someone who, who cooks. It's not something I enjoy. So I consider Anna to be an authority on Cajun Creole cooking and not me because she has more experience with it. She has more experience actually getting her hands in the food and the seasoning and buying the food and preparing it and, and learning from those in her community, uh, learning from those who have championed those traditions for decades. So does that make sense? Let's say she and I were collaborating on a dish together and I had some ideas about what I wanted to put in the dish that maybe differed from hers. Maybe something I wanted to do wouldn't be considered necessarily traditional. I have no idea. I'm just throw I'm just making up an example right now. Let's say that were to happen. I don't think it would be fair for Anna to say, well no, this isn't how you're supposed to do it. I know how we're supposed to do it and this is this is appropriate. Now just because she knows and understands what is considered traditional and that's the way she likes to do it doesn't mean that my opinions and ideas are invaluable or unworthy of consideration and unworthy of merit. So I don't believe that I would have to be humble in the presence of cooking in front of or with Anna. We're just different people with different experiences and that's it. Mutual respect and admiration is key here. And that comes with being mindful, with being aware. Okay, so that example was pretty straightforward. Now I'm going to give you an abstract example of having authority. So I am not a parent. I am not a mother of human children anyway. (laughs) I have three fur babies and I definitely consider them my children. Be that as it may, I am not a parent of human offspring. I have not given birth to a child and I am not raising one. With that said, I do not have to be a mother or a parent to have opinions, beliefs, and ideas about parenting. And that is because, well, that's for several reasons. One, I believe each human being should give lengthy, critical, deep thought to what it means to be a parent and raise a child before they have one. And I think all too often those critical thoughts do not occur. People often think, okay, I'm married or I'm partnered and the next step is to have kids, so let's just do it. So that's one thing. I think it is necessary for human beings to think critically about what kind of parent they want to be, what it means to be a parent, how they're going to raise their child effectively with empathy and love and compassion. Other thing is parenting 
is abstract. It's incredibly complex. It's not as simple as cooking a recipe. These are the ingredients you use. This is the temperature you use. This is how long you cook it. And we know parenting isn't like that. There isn't one strategic formula that's going to tell human beings how to raise their child for the rest of their lives. And due to the complexity and intricacy of human nature, it's just not as simple and finite as something like cooking, which is exactly why it requires deep, intricate, careful thought before embarking on this incredible journey and endeavor that is parenthood. Which leads me to this comparative statement to illustrate this. Let's use the example of healthcare. One does not have to be a doctor or a medical professional or have to work in the medical industry or medical arena in order to have opinions, thoughts, beliefs, and ideas around healthcare, around the care that they want to receive, and around the care that they want their fellow humans as a collective, as a community to receive. Just because I'm not a doctor or a medical professional or work or don't work in that arena should not render my opinions, beliefs, and ideas about healthcare to be invalid. It shouldn't render my opinions, beliefs, and ideas to be absent of value or merit. It shouldn't render my opinions, beliefs, and ideas to be nonsensical or illogical. Another reason for this is because I have personal experience in the world of parenting. I don't have experience parenting. I have experience in the world of parenting because I am a child of a parent. I have parents. So I grew up with parents. I grew up being parented and I was not parented effectively. I was parented, in my opinion, poorly, and I experienced lots of emotional trauma and psychological abuse growing up. And as a result of that experience, I now have my own beliefs and ideas about what effective, proper, beautiful, lovely, nurturing parenting should look like because I did not experience that and I don't want other children to experience that either. So I believe that absolutely makes my opinions valid because it's based on my very real life experience with parents and being a child of parents. Also, this notion that really emphasizes children respecting their parents and honoring them is so weird and backwards and unnecessary to me because parents do not own their children. Parents decided to bring another human being into the world. It was their choice to create a human, literally. Their choice to create a human and to put that human into the world with the rest of humans. And that's all it is. Parents don't own their kids. No one owns me. Nobody owns you. Not parents, not romantic partners. Nobody is owned. Everyone is their own individual human living their own individual life on this planet, living their own reality, making choices to create the life they want. Yes, parents are responsible for their children because when they're young, they obviously don't have the intelligence or the means to take care of themselves. Parents need to do that. They need to guide their children through how to navigate life, to navigate the world. But that doesn't mean that they own these children. It's wild to me and I think very harmful. And I don't think that we need to be humble in the presence of our parents because they do not own us. Yes, they have taught us things, many valuable things, and they have helped us. That's what they're supposed to do, though, as caregivers. I mean, that's just biological. That's 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 nature. That is innate within humans to nurture our young. And I don't think parents deserve a badge of honor for doing what we are biologically hardwired to do and for doing something loving and nurturing. That's 
that's the way it should be. So the idea of being humble in the presence of our parents and that it should be necessary is whack. Again, mutual respect and admiration is key here. Children don't just have to respect and admire their parents. Their parents should respect and admire them as well. There should be a mutual exchange of the two because the mother is her own person. The father is his own person. The child is their own person. They're all individuals just navigating this life together and helping each other along the way. And parents are there to guide their children with direction and purpose in ways to serve them in ways that are nurturing and loving. That's it. No one is better or more worthy or more important or more significant than the other. Same thing goes for politics. One does not have to be a politician in order to have ideas, thoughts, values, and beliefs around government policy for the people by the people. That's literally what a democracy is, or at least what a democracy should be. It's not happening in America. Essentially, what I'm getting at is we do not need to be humble in the presence of those who have different experiences than we do. We just have to be mindful and aware that they have different experiences than we do. And we need to be mindful and aware that they have knowledge and intelligence and information that we do not have. And we need to be aware that we can learn from these people and apply the knowledge they share with us to serve ourselves and others. I mean, really, it's being self-serving. When you choose to learn from somebody else, you really are benefiting your personal welfare and interest. You're benefiting your welfare because you are learning more information and knowledge is power. And you can use that newfound knowledge and apply it in ways to better your life and that of others. And it's self-serving because it satisfies your personal interest. We are all human beings are naturally curious creatures. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we are interested in learning things. We like learning and we like applying what we learn. We like that pattern. Our brains enjoy that pattern. So really, it is self-serving to not be humble, more so to just be mindful of who we can learn from and what we can learn and mindful of how it can benefit our lives and of course benefit the lives of others. Something else that grinds my gears are when people insist to be addressed as Mr. or Mrs. as a sign of respect. What in the world is that? So John and I just started watching Schitt's Creek, which I know we're late. That show came out five years ago. We're late to the game. That's usually how it is, at least for me. And we love it. Absolutely love it. We have started it over. We finished it really quickly and then we restarted it over and now we're going to restart it again today. So we're going to watch it through for the third time within like, I don't know, two weeks. It is phenomenal. The issue I have though is Stevie working with Johnny Rose. You know, they become close friends. They become, wait, I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen it. But either way, they, they're friends. You know what I mean? Friends. Yet she always addresses him as Mr. Rose. And that bothers the hell out of me. It's like, you two are equal. You should be able to address each other, both of you to address each other by your first names. Why is it that Johnny Rose aka Mr. Rose, can address Stevie as Stevie, but Stevie has to address him as Mr. Rose just because he's wealthy and just because he has extraordinary business experience. Like, what in the world? That's wild. Same thing with Mrs. Rose. Like, what? So just because she's an actress and, again, wealthy, she should be addressed as Mrs. instead of her first name. It's just wild. Same thing with sir and ma'am. When people feel that they should be addressed as sir or ma'am as a sign of respect, like why? We're all the same. Another example is son. Like when people refer to someone as son in the sense that they are of authority above that person. It's just, it's, it's, it's not inclusive and it's not a sign of equality. It's not helpful. It creates divisions between people. 
creates status between people and it gives others more value and more worth than they deserve because we're all equal. We can always learn from other people. And that's something I think we humans should prioritize is learning from one another and applying what we learn from one another to better ourselves and better the lives of others. What I take issue with is when we revere other people more than we revere ourselves and place more emphasis and attention and energy in prioritizing the reverence of others over ourselves because then we lose sight of who we are we lose sight of our sense of self and we end up valuing others more than we value our individual selves and when we don't deeply value ourselves we strip ourselves of our personal agency and that is a major problem and real quick i want to go back to something i said earlier when people have a low or modest view of their individual importance how they don't wear masks and they don't vote we need to understand that by acknowledging and understanding our individual importance, we then understand that we affect other people. All of our actions, choices, decisions, and behaviors affect others. We do not exist for the comfort and convenience of others. However, we do exist as a shared human family living on the same, in the same home, which is earth. And we need to recognize that we're in this together. And if we don't recognize that we are important. If we don't recognize that who we are and what we do and how we go about living our lives in the world affects others, then we won't progress human society. We will not combat climate change and we will eradicate the human race. We will not develop into more empathetic, compassionate, vulnerable human beings. And we won't collaborate effectively with each other to create transformative, positive change in the world. This pandemic has made it very clear that we humans need to stop assigning various values to different people. You know, minimum and low-wage jobs are considered to be of lower status, therefore of less respect and admiration. Yet we are discovering during this pandemic that those jobs serve as some of the most important, valuable, and significant ways to help and protect others. I don't think someone who works as a grocery store deliverer should have a lower or modest view of their importance in comparison to the doctors and medical professionals caring for those who are sick and trying to create a vaccine. All right, everyone, stand up. Don't be humble. I hope this episode served you. I hope it expanded your mind. I hope it brought you some clarity and empowerment, which is always the goal. And I am very excited to see you next week, next Thursday, with a new episode. Until then, cheers, everyone. Oh, baby, baby, baby.